We're definitely dealing with a crisis of unparalleled proportions as the new unemployment numbers just came in and they are as bad as we told you they would be. And of course, many economic experts got it wrong. We're, we're going to be talking about that plus a lot more with, of course, Tim Perchette, the Liberty Advisor, plus a lot more when it comes to all the latest economic news happening right now in the United States. And of course, everyone's eyeballs are on these unemployment numbers. And of course, it's a record 6.6 .6 million Americans that just filed for unemployment last week. The previous week before that, it was 3.3 million, leading now to the total of 10 million Americans that are now jobless. And again, we have to understand here, these are still just the initial numbers. This is just the beginning because it takes some states two to three weeks, sometimes even longer to process a lot of these claims. And with, with this lockdown being expected to, to last, a lot longer, you can only expect the devastation to be forthcoming with this situation unfolding right in front of us. And again, I have to point out to uh, what is the CNBC article that was released before these numbers came out. And, and they were saying many economics experts claim to these numbers to be about four to five million people. Uh, that's what they were predicting that was going to happen. Well, no, it, it's 10 million. It's a lot worse, and it's going to get a lot worse from here. Tim, what's your reaction to this kind of news? 10 million um, unemployed um, um, Americans, which, again, is just uh, just the beginning here. Yeah, well, I think the important point is that this is just the beginning. I mean, a lot of businesses, I mean, uh, the last thing you want to do is have to lay somebody off because it takes so much time, energy, effort, resources, money to have to train somebody and then ramp things back up. So that's, you know, having to lay somebody off is a last resort effort. And so we'll, we'll probably end up seeing, and hopefully I'm not right in this, but I think it's, you know, it's very, very obvious what's going to happen is that, you know, the month of April is going to be probably even more of a bloodbath than we saw in March. And I hope that's not the case. And maybe these stimulus checks can, you know, help things out. But, you know, I really am, you know, doubtful as what can happen. And, you know, just as a sign of the times of just how bad things are getting, we're having banks right now who are actually going ahead and the Fed has actually eased capital requirements for big banks. Now, it's important to point out that they have already gotten to the point where banks don't have any, they don't have to reserve anything in the reserve requirement for our own capital deposits. Now, there's other things in terms of like different leverage that they utilize that they need to have a certain amount in, you know, safer, and I'll, you know, say that in air quotes, safer treasury bills. But then the, you know, the Federal, Federal Reserve, I almost said Federal Government, but it's not the Federal Government, has come ahead and said, actually, you don't have to do that. And so one trick that the Fed could pull, looking at zero hedge right now, is that uh, actually we're not looking at zero hedge right now. Now we are. Is that the Fed could, could ease the tension in the Treasury market to potentially unlock hundreds of billions of dollars in new lending capacity among U.S. commercial banks was to exclude Treasuries and deposit from the Fed's much maligned supplementary leverage ratio rule, which forces banks to hold ultra safe. Again, you know, that's sort of, uh, you know, anyone listening to this, you know, I'll say that in air quotes, ultra safe Treasuries and or deposits on their books which are traditionally viewed by the Fed as less risky than loans or also have to suffer a uh, capital surcharge. Uh, but specifically, they were told they had to hold 3%, and then you know, now 3% is, is, is too much. And so you know, just like you know, what usually happens, you know, uh, yesterday I was on a uh, podcast with uh, Ernest Hancock, and he was asking about what, what rules typically happen traditionally. But the problem is what happens traditionally and what happens during a crisis are two different things because they always throw out the rule book during a crisis, just like GM during 2008, when the bondholders should have gotten absolutely shellacked and gotten, uh, and, and the government came in 
and essentially sort of like nationalized GM. And then GM, you know, took some of that money and moved plants off uh, offshore. Uh, you know, no big uh, surprise there. But yeah, this is, uh, you know, some of the other things I wanted to mention that, you know, we see an article coming out of, uh, actually this one's coming out of Gold Money. It's called Credit Crisis Averted, but now a monetary crisis has been initiated. And I think that's very important uh, distinction because, yeah, we may have helped avert one thing, but now we may have set in the wheels of motion for something that, in my opinion, is even worse. And, uh, you know, going on from the article just a week ago, we published a report with the title, What is Holding Gold Back? Uh, that was March 20th. In that report, we analyzed the odd downward move in gold since early March amidst a global pandemic, crashing equities, unchecked central bank intervention, and the prospect for the largest fiscal stimulus bills the world has ever seen. We conclude that the main reason for this sell-off, and we're talking about in gold, is a sharp rise in interest rate expectations was temporary and that that could turn on a dime. And we do see here, we're taking a look at the 10-year uh, Treasury inflation-protected securities. And at one point, uh, you know, towards the end of February, beginning of March, it was actually showing inflation expectations were going to be negative 0.6, which is, uh, you know, indicative of deflation. So let me scroll down on the screen so that way you, you guys can see that. And, uh, yes, I mean, these conditions have been changing. One big change is what we see here is the Federal Reserve's balance sheet. They added $1.1 trillion just in the span of a, span of a month, which is, is absolutely, uh, you know, incredible action of what's going on here. Some other things that are going on here, we've got the banks. Uh, Wait, before we get into that, but just coming back into these kind of unemployment numbers, I also wanted to, to, to point out, I mean, this is more important than ever because, again, people aren't working. The economy is not moving. Uh, before we get into all the other aspects here, the, these numbers, again, uh, were not only lowballed by the so-called economic experts, but they're going to be far worse, mainly because if you really think about it, many local uh, state governments don't have the capabilities to all work from home. So a lot of the government offices, a lot of the fat cat bureaucrats who process these unemployment claims, well, well, they're not in the offices. And many states are reporting that they're having a hard time filing a lot of these claims and actually putting them officially on the record. So again, these numbers are going to be way higher. I know a lot of people who are in this flex thinking somehow that things are going to come back to normal in a week or two, because again, Donald Trump said that maybe by Easter, their economy is going to reopen to, and again, we called it here. We were, we were saying that's way, way too optimistic, but we're looking for a long, long, long time of pain. Well, don't tell that to Ben Bernanke for a lot of people, Tim, don't tell that to Ben Bernanke. Ben Bernanke said, this is just going to be a, st a snowstorm. I mean, I'm from yeah. Syracuse, New York, which is actually the snow capital of the country for any city over 100,000 people. So I know something or two about snowstorms. And this is, I guess, what a snowstorm shuts you down for like a week or two. Well, in Syracuse, I mean, it takes like an act of God. I mean, like it takes like, literally, I guess, like, you know, three feet of snow getting but, but done. Other things that I'm seeing that are, that are kind of really important here. Now, the, the professional economic experts that lowballed these numbers, now they're saying that the end of April, this number will be about 20 million individuals claiming uh you know un unemployment and again that's that's a very bare minimum and i'm going to call it here that's going to be lower than the actual numbers the actual numbers in my opinion are going to be a lot higher and the second question how is the department of labor how is the state going to be able to pay unemployment benefits to so many people that are absolutely out of work and are claiming this again this is this is a, a trajectory that is going to be very very painful you were just talking about the the metal market the gold and silver market uh, when you look at that market, a lot of people see it as a safe haven away from the dollar. I uh, worked with a company since 2013. Uh, I, wor I work with them now. 
we have a website called getyoursilvernow.com, getyoursilvernow.com. And um, I started, uh, you know, working with them again just a few weeks ago. Now their orders are literally 12 weeks back, 12 weeks back. And, you know, silver that usually goes for $12 an ounce goes has a 50% premium because no one could get it because everyone's trying to buy it up right now to look as a safe haven to the dollar, which, of course, many people see inevitably going down, even though it's being very uh, supported by the world market. How do you see this kind of trajectory all kind of um, playing itself out here? Because it, it's, it's definitely unpredictable. The rule books are out, uh, especially during uh, this crisis. And, and we don't know what the Federal Reserve is doing, but they're definitely acting secretive and they're definitely going to be bailing out more of their buddies. Um, so, Tim, go ahead. Well, not to make light of the situation, but my Trump money gone 2020 did uh, did arrive yesterday, which I was too busy to figure it out. But, but oh, here we go. My, yes. Mine did, too. And I, I literally have it like being washed, cleaned. Right clean. well. so, yeah. So yeah. I actually you got to watch. So I've got my, my Trump, uh, you know, twenty dollar, twenty twenty dollar bills over here. Uh, because he's the money man that we're, you know, we're just going to print money to solve everything. You want to know how, you know, we're going to pay the unemployment benefits. We're going to print money, how we're going to pay for the pensions when they fail. We're going to print money. I mean, I think that one of the big things to look out for and mark it down right now is when the Illinois pension fund eventually blows up. Now, before all this, they were only 25% funded to begin with. And those were based off the BS funding numbers that they came up with. And believe it or not, my Facebook memory from one year ago today was when I actually discovered how the government actually forces uh, everyone who has a pension to actually uh, basically dramatically overstate those numbers. So I found this out an accident. It was one year ago today where the government, what they do is they uh, they uh, they take a trailing 25 year uh, basically interest rate so you know without getting too technical here and so the trailing 25 year rate on the treasury is like five or six percent but a trailing you know one or two year rate would be you know closer to one or now it would be like zero looking like looking going forward so the pensions are literally mandated to say that their bonds are going to earn about six percent when their bonds are probably going to earn closer to two and so even off these bs numbers they're showing that they're only at 25 percent funding this is before the crisis uh and so now i mean this is just i mean illinois is going to be the first one to go and then you know then how are they going to pay their police and how are they going to pay uh you know the fire department how are they going to pay and then you're so at this point i mean in phoenix where i'm coming from right now i mean they actually i mean that technically in peoria but in phoenix they actually voted to make it so that that way the first people that get paid, no matter what, out of any money out of the budget are the police. And so like literally the police have a gun to the citizens' heads and saying, you guys either pay us first and you pay our pensions first. And it doesn't matter if, you know, our pensions got greedy and made bad decisions and blew up. You know, we're the ones who get protected first. And and so, I mean, this is a, a message that we've had all along here is that people need to be self-sufficient, self-reliant. Because when there is a crisis, I mean, the police are going to be there taking care of their own family. And rightfully so at that point, because when things get really bad, uh, I mean, but, you know, but well, one thing. Or most of them are going to be sick, just like the NYPD. I mean, the NYPD is already facing 15 percent of their force being sick. 15 percent. Uh, and, and again, officers and National Guardsmen will be the ones most impacted by this initially right after, of course, the medical professionals, because the police officers and National Guardsmen, you know, they're, they're doing really stupid things like going door to door in Rhode Island. And what happens when you go door to door, having as much contact with as many people as possible? What do you think is going to happen during a pandemic when that happens? Well, it's it's going to unfold what's unfolding now in New York City with a large number of the police officers being unable to work 
And now police officer shifts have been expanded from eight hours to 12 hours. And again, that's still, uh, you know, not enough because, again, more officers will get sick. And uh, the, the situation in New York City is, is truly, truly uh, one that is very, very worrisome. Yeah, and you've got, you got people here, at least in Arizona, where we just went on some sort of lockdown a couple of days ago, supposedly. And uh, and apparently all the liberals are getting all mad about, about you know, how come these rules don't have more teeth in it? And what we need is we need, you know, basically, uh, you know, you to be put in jail if you go outside. And so they want, you know, more men with guns dictating things. But, you know, one thing that never uh, we definitely definitely don't want that, but we definitely want people taking, you know, the situation seriously and protecting themselves and their family members and protecting individuals who might not have uh, a secure immune system, might not have the best health. You know, just being conscious of those people is something that I think we should we should advocate for. Uh, And and the more police officers that go around, the more they spread this pandemic sickness. Like it's just stupid and idiotic. And again, we shouldn't be giving up our rights. Uh, because of this thing. Tim, now there's a lot of things to talk about, uh, especially with the kind of stocks and the Dow kind of opening flat. There's a lot of news in oil. There's a lot of news with the auto sales. Should we continue this on to the second video? Because I know we got a lot to say about the economy. Would you be okay with that? Yeah, I'd be okay with that. We're at 13 minutes now. So I think that yeah, so we're going gonna to continue this conversation, talk about oil, talk about auto sales, talk about, of course, the, the stocks, in the next video stay tuned for more here. so now we're getting information that this sickness is now the third leading cause of death in the united states and it is surely climbing and of course create worse of an economic impact continuing the conversation from the previous video we of course have tim Pichette, the liberty advisor going off the latest most important details happening right now and of course there's a lot of them as stocks are facing the worst outlook since 2008 and many people saying that this next economic tsunami might be even worse than 2008 but so far stock stocks have been opening up flat after huge unemployment numbers again still unemployment numbers that we talked about in the last video that are going to be a lot higher and probably are a lot higher now but again with half of the world on lockdown the projections are bleak to say the least U.S. auto sales have plunged to its lowest in a decade, and many people are saying the worst is still to come. But oil, surprisingly, is doing better after the latest announcements and major geopolitical moves by Donald Trump, which, of course, involve the big energy war that's happening between Russia and Saudi Arabia right now. Tim, what's your take on oil stocks soaring right now after Trump's latest announcements with this larger geopolitical picture in front of us. Thanks, Luke. And so one of the big issues with oil stocks isn't even necessarily so much to do with oil stocks as much as it's to do with the oil bonds. And so if you take a look at what, and even the bond market is a much, much bigger market than the stock market. And so the bond is is, uh, you lend money to a company and then that company then uses that money to then grow itself. Now, the problem is that that is a gigantic house of cards, and these companies are all highly over-leveraged. Now, when you take a look at the uh, the junk bond market, and particularly take a look at the absolute worst of the junk bond market, which would be the uh, triple C-rated bonds. And so we have an article from the Financial Times of London from uh, just a week or two ago. Energy companies account for the bulk of debt in the broader high-yield bond market, which is a euphemism for a junk bond market, and compromise 13% of bonds rated triple C the very bottom tier. So a lot of this has to do with the fact that if these, you know, with the oil companies, 
although not low oil companies, with the low oil prices, a lot of these uh, companies can't make any money right now. And actually, every uh, every drop of oil they produce, they're actually losing money on that. So there's no way they can, you know, you know, have uh, I'm going to say print more of it because look at all the feds are printing money. So as they drill for more oil, they're losing more and more money. And so it's this whole, you know, carousel that keeps going round and round. Now, a lot of this uh, tension really kicked off uh, around September 17th, right around the same time that uh, that the financial markets kicked off, which is that's when the whole repo apocalypse happened at the exact same time. But that had to do with uh, at the time there was this uh, you know supposed Iranian drone strike, and then it went uh, and then that sent the price of oil higher. And lo and behold, that was the exact same time that Aramco, which was a Saudi Arabian oil company, that they were going to have their initial public offering. So then they got to make uh, a ton of money on the way up. And then now that they you know, have already made a bunch of money, they decided that, hey, now would be a very good time to uh, you know, have this energy war. And then the energy war would result in certain layoffs and consolidations where then the people who have money can then come in to buy up the companies that have already... Uh, that have, that have already gone out of business. But in this case, it sounds like there is a little bit of a truce that is going on. And to me, it's not so much the stocks, it's the bonds and the, and the stocks are going up because now there's a greater likelihood that the bonds will, will be paid. And I guess it, you know, it is a little bit of you know, a complicated subject because everyone's, nope, I mean, the bond market isn't sexy. Nobody's talking about the bond market, really. I, uh, I still don't know what it is. <laughs> But sorry, just cutting off really quickly here. There was even just talks just a few days ago about a potential uh, energy company bailout. As of course, just three days ago, a barrel of oil was cheaper than a pint of beer in Canada. Now, of course, beer is heavily taxed in Canada, but that's a whole other kind of criminal enterprise to unfold here. But again, Donald Trump did tweet um, as of just a couple moments ago saying officially, quote, just spoke to my friend, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, who spoke with President Putin of Russia, and I expect and hope that they will be cutting back approximately 10 million barrels and maybe substantially much uh, more. If it happens, will be great for the oil and gas industry. Yes, it will be great for the oil and gas industry, a gas, uh, you know, an energy industry that's subsidized and has a lot of government intervention. But at the same time, also, it's going to increase the price of energy uh, to the average consumer as well. Now, of course, we've been getting away with very, very cheap oil prices because of this kind of larger energy war between the geopolitical foes, with, of course, the United States being uh, hand and, and uh, lockstep and barrel with Saudi Arabia and their petrodollar. Russia and all the other countries, of course, going against the petrodollar with China, of course, with Iran, of course. Um, and, and this is this is very interesting to unfold because we haven't officially gotten confirmation from Saudi Arabia and Russia that this is happening. But Donald Trump is saying that it is. So we're going to see how this unfolds. But this this definitely does provide some perplexing uh, kind of understanding of what's happening here, to say the least. Yeah, no. And uh, one, one very important point that I want to make about that is, you know, especially if we go back to the screen over here with Donald Trump and he says he spoke with his friend, uh, you know, MBS, the crown prince, you know, we can get into all that about, you know, uh, you know, all the stuff that that guy's behind. And however, you know, when he says this will be great for the oil and gas industry, I mean, this is who, you know, really, when we say make America great again, what do you mean by America and what do you mean by great? I mean, so just take a look at uh, you know, we actually, Josh Seeger signed a video right at the market peak where we had stated that 67% of all the S&P 500's earnings at the time had to do with MAGA companies. So that was Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon. 
And here it seems like the MAGA, um, you know, industries over here would be that, you know, the military industrial complex is probably going to benefit from all this. The banks are going to benefit from all this. Big Pharma is going to benefit from all this. I'm sure they'll want everyone to get, you know, vaccines. You got Bill Gates, you know, talking about, hey, let's go get your little tattoos. And then the tattoos will then let you know if you can, you know, can even go and travel. And so this is, you know, we're heading to 1984 real quickly. And to see Donald Trump taking victory laps over, you know, now we're going to help save the oil and gas industry. We'll save it from whom? I mean, it's not like it would go away. It's not like if we didn't. Uh, so now the, you know, millions of Americans who are out of jobs and no. Americans who are struggling now uh, just to make ends meet, that we're supposed to help them out by making sure that the price of oil and the price of gas and the price of their energy cost more. I mean, it just seems like a ridiculous notion of why, you know, the average person should be taking, you know, some you know huge victory lap on the fact that everything they buy is now going to cost so much more money. And this is all being used, in my opinion, to, you know, you know, fast walk us into some, you know, 1984 scenario that's just on, you know, just, you know, 30 years delayed over here, but it's just, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's always been, you know, the bond market is the bigger, is the bigger issue here. Uh, you know, we've got the auto sales have been plunging to uh, lowest sales in the decade, but they think that the worst is, is yet to even come. Uh, you know, with the oil, but I mean, who knows that this is just, and it of- is, and it is, and Tim, sorry to cut you off though. The worst is still to come. Uh, many people again had very high optimistic, uh, you know, viewpoints that somehow everything would go back to normal on Easter. And, and again, I was calling it here like, no, like you have no idea the, the reckoning that you're dealing with right now. And another bigger point to understand here is that even if this sickness didn't happen, even if the sickness wasn't here, like it, it, it wouldn't just be what would lead to the crash. It would have been something else that would have led to this crash because it was an economic reckoning waiting to happen based on so much irresponsible behavior that again, we can't just always just look at the virus as an excuse here because all these things are bringing all the underlying issues to the surface that finally we're like, holy crap, we're standing in a bunch of crap. Why are we standing in a bunch of crap? Not because of this new sickness going around, but this crap was laid forward by a lot of the individuals that people trusted the most to ensure our market. And, and again, uh, what's happening in the market is just absolutely insane would you say you disagree or agree with that kind of latest statement uh, i'd say completely agree uh you know 110 percent. i mean just i mean you're you know humpty dumpty is broke they're not putting humpty dumpty back together again we're taking a look at uh john snyson's website here taking a look at the Federal reserve balance sheet that is a complete straight vertical hockey stick how there is no way we're ever coming back from that and there's no way the fed's balance sheet's ever getting back to zero like they tried to pretend over here and the, the pace at which things are moving is insane. We talked about this in the last video, but the Fed has eased capital requirements for the big banks. Uh, and, and one other uh, you know, important thing I want to mention over here is, you know, do we even still have a market? Can you even consider this a market when the Fed is going in and distorting everything? And I, don't have, I thought I had the article pulled up, but there was an article from Zero Hedge today where it, it, even, where it mentioned, you know, from Rabobank, you know, the most important question investors should be asking themselves is, uh, is there even still a market? And so a market has price discovery where there's buyers and sellers. And so, you know, where that meets, you know, there's eventually an equilibrium. And so, you know, we overshot big time on the upside in terms of where the Dow and S&P should have been. But then when you take a look at how low things should go, they should go a lot lower. I mean, it, and then it, look at who things are benefit. OK, they're trying to do things to keep the housing market afloat. But who is that keeping it afloat for? I mean, imagine if you're uh, 
27 years old, you're a millennial, you're trying to get your first job, and now you can't afford a house because they wanted to make sure all the baby boomers that they're going to be taken care of. But yet the average person out there, uh, you know, especially millennial, they're, they're going to have a very hard time purchasing a home. So if you just actually um, – maybe so what, what happens, needs to happen is the rates need to go up. The, then those rates going up would then pop a lot of these bubbles. You see all the bad actors then go out of business, and we need to have that shakeup. In 1907, there was a panic of 1907. It was way worse from a stock market uh, crash perspective than even the Great Depression. But guess what? You never heard about it because they let the market correct itself, and then they didn't intervene into everything. And that was one of the reasons why we even have a Federal Reserve is because at the time, J.P. Morgan had to go personally backstop the entire system. And he was like, well, this sucks. You know, why do I want to go take, uh, you know, my own personal funds and have to go, you know, uh, basically have to, you know, ensure losses? It'd be much better if we had a Federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve could come in and, you know, take all the take. You know, we'd be able to we'd own it, too. So, I mean, that helps. And then we'd be able to get, you know, all the gains on the way up. And if there's losses, oh, well, we'll just put that on the Treasury. We see this yesterday or a couple of days ago. There's an article that's been shared, you know, pretty uh, frequently, especially, you know, amongst our circles about how the Fed has been nationalized uh, by the Treasury. And really, I mean, I'm not going to belabor this. You guys can watch the video from yesterday. I, I believe that that was on the main We Are Change channel. And what we went over in that video is how, uh, you know, essentially the Treasury is in a first loss position is the quote, meaning that if the banks make money from what they're doing right now, that uh, they get to keep it. But if there's but if there's uh, losses to be had, then we the people are the ones who end up getting stuck with that. Uh, I guess that probably comes as about no surprise to anybody. Now, who's also going to be making money throughout all this? And we already uh, you know talked about how you know big pharma and the vaccines and the banks and the military uh, and the energy companies now and how I mean basically every everybody you know they're they're trying to make out uh, make out better than this. But we have banks warn of chaotic launch of small business lending program. And this is something that should take like years for them to implement. This is, you know, a huge undertaking. But what's going to happen is they're just going to have to send, you know, basically everybody who applies a whole bunch of money. And there's probably going to be a bunch of fraud in this. And so we do see up on screen right now uh, $350 billion in loans to U.S. small businesses uh, are, are, are part of this $2 trillion fiscal stimulus and what they're calling the Paycheck pay Protection Program. Uh, sort of reminds me of like the Plunge Protection Team. And we've also seen uh, over here on screen, U.S. consumer comfort suffers biggest two weeks crash ever. You know, MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. And then, uh, yeah, we're getting back into the, the Dow going up because of Saudi and Russia are having a temporary truce. But, you know, it's, it's really only a temporary truce because things are going so bad that uh, and there's really no demand that, that at a certain point, uh, you know, they could probably cut the oil down and, and still be at a level that is, is still going to be a very low uh uh, oil price. Now, the last thing I want to mention about oil is I did see another program that was floated uh, by the president where he had talked about what if there was a $50 import on all imported oil, and which would then essentially set a floor on $50 being uh, the minimum price for oil. But then again, he also said he wanted to help out U.S. auto manufacturers. Uh, well, are you helping out U.S. auto manufacturers by making sure it makes it more expensive for people to drive again? I don't know. Maybe maybe that's when uh, when America was great again, Luke, is when it costs more money for people to drive. So. Well, well, even if they even if like they cut the production, the use of it is still going to be insignificant. And you have Blind to kind of ask yourself this question: Will that even work? Will cutting production even help with the price? Since you look at the streets, I mean, they're absolutely uh, abandoned. Like you look at major cities, there's barely any cars running. 
uh, especially not to the level that there was before, other than people just, you know, going to the store or, or taking a break or just going for a little joyride there, because that seems like the only fun that they could have. And the UK government, by the way, they're punishing you for even doing that, uh, being isolated in your own car. Yeah, the UK government has gone absolutely Orwellian uh, like it hasn't before, but uh, it's just absolutely insane there. But again, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. And to have the government pounding its chest, helping out the biggest industries. Meanwhile, there's all this pain and suffering still going on with the average person, the person in the lower class, the, the evaporating middle class. I mean, just, just helping out the, the upper class. I mean, come on. Um, and, and definitely not something that should be cheerleaded in this kind of phony Ponzi scheme economic system that we're all under that, as we talked about yesterday, privatizes profits and gains, but socializes losses for the 0.1%, not even the 1%, 0.1%, if that, uh, of the individuals that are benefiting from this entire crisis, getting all the help, getting all the assistance that they can. Meanwhile, you don't get a bailout. Your retirement doesn't get a bailout. You just get screwed over. Tim, anything else you want to say before we go? No, I think you did a good job, but I would, I would just stress it's probably more akin to the 0.001%, not even the upper class. We're talking about the parasitic upper, upper, upper class. It's above all those people that you think of as upper class. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe 0.01, even, even lower than that. Who knows? But all we know is that uh, the government definitely doesn't have your priorities straight, to say the least. That's our take on it. If you think we're wrong, let us know why in the comment section below. We always appreciate proper feedback and criticism because we essentially work for you. Thank you guys again so much for watching. Stay tuned for more here on Change the News.